Welcome to the journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Laura Byrne, and this week, why was the FAI back in front of an Oireachtas committee? Well, the Football Association of Ireland, the FAI, is no stranger to dramatic newspaper headlines. Whether it's the launch of a new football manager for the Ireland soccer team over the years, or even the launch of two at one stage, or the exit of former CEO John Delaney in a cloud of controversy, the embattled FAI has seen some turbulent times. Now, on the back of these storms, we were promised a shiny, new and functioning FAI, but it hasn't quite gone that way. Last week, we saw a fresh round of headlines generated with the appearance of FAI officials at the Public Accounts Committee, questioned over governance of the organisation. Emails were produced, some heavily redacted, and questions flew about the way the FAI is run, narrowing in on one payment in particular, that of over €11,000 to the CEO Jonathan Hill, in lieu of holidays he didn't take in 2022. So today we're going to look at the latest controversies and ask if there is a better way forward for this organisation. And to do this today I'm joined by our own colleague Gavin Cooney, who's sports writer and podcast host with The 42. Gavin, thanks so much for joining us today. All good, Laura. So... The FAI controversy seemed never-ending, Gavin. Are you surprised you're back here explaining more about what's going on at the organisation? Don't know if I'm very surprised given my work over the last few years, but I am quite dispirited by it because you had hoped in the wake of all the chaos that came with the exit of John Delaney back in 2019 and 2020, uh, you had hoped that they had moved on from that. And in many ways, they have moved on. To be fair to them, there has been a lot of progress made, but they remain under an effective kind of probation because uh, there is a, there has been a state bailout of the FAI uh, and it's because of that level of scrutiny that the FAI have tripped themselves up and we're back uh, with quite negative headlines around the association. So can you remind us then, Gavin, about who Jonathan Hill is firstly? How is he performing in the role so far and what happened in relation to his pay last year? So Jonathan Hill is the new chief executive of the FAI. He, he took over on a permanent basis toward the end of 2020. I think it was in November of that time. Had He came, uh, he had never worked in Ireland before. He came from uh, externally. His, his most recent group was with a, his job, should I say, was with a group called Larius Sport, but had previously worked in the commercial uh, department of the English FA. Um, I think a, a great virtue is made of the fact that he was arriving in Ireland without any baggage, given all that had happened before. So he's he's been in situ since then. Um, as regards his, his performance, uh, lots of conflicting opinions on that. First of all, he, he came into a very difficult environment. Uh, there has uh, been a lot of progress made in terms of huge amounts of governance overhauls. Obviously, not just him working on that, but obviously he, he plays a major role in the view of, of the government because under the terms and conditions of the state bailout agreement, there's something like 163 recommendations uh, of governance changes to make the FAI. And, you know, they have achieved 95% compliance, but unfortunately, uh, to sound like Giovanni Trapattoni, it's the little details that, that will trip you up, unfortunately. So... Yeah, and under the one of the terms of that state bailout agreement is uh, that the CEO's uh, total remuneration in the case of Jonathan Hill can't exceed a certain threshold. Uh, bec- it is tied to the uh, salary of a secretary general of a government department, a, a grade one secretary general. Why is that there? It's to kind of rein in the salary of the CEO because that was one of the issues under John Delaney. His, his salary was over €400,000 at one point. So um, that was audited and in twenty uh, last year actually it emerged that Hill's remuneration was €20,000 above the agreed limit and the money that took him uh, there was a kind of a complex thing around benefiting kind tax that should have been paid on travel expenses because Hill uh, doesn't live full-time in Ireland. He lives in, he lives in, in London. 
And the other issue was this holiday pay that under the FAI's ha- employee handbook, you're not allowed to convert untaken holiday days into cash. But as it turns out, he had 12 days in 2022 that he couldn't take. And ultimately that was converted into €11,500 uh, that um, then took the FAI over the threshold that led to the suspension of state funding briefly until the money was repaid and Sport Ireland and by extension the government were happy that this uh, that this term would not be breached in the future. Um, so, you know, in that sense, the controversy is all over with, but in a kind of a classic sense and not just limited to the FAI, but in terms of Irish life, the, uh, the controversy has now arisen less in the act than in the explanation for it. But we should mention that the fact that his uh, salary is now in line with Secretary General's, it's not a small amount of money he's on. He's on over €200,000, so he had gone over over this limit. So is this why he was back in front of an Oireachtas committee last week then? Yeah, so there was initially this kicked off in, in November this emerged and then the FAI were in front of an Oireachtas sport committee last December and then they were invited in front of the Public Accounts Committee along with Sport Ireland and along with um, figures from the Department of Sport uh, to meet the Public Accounts Committee uh, and that meeting obviously went ahead last week and the FAI had hoped to postpone it um, having got the invite on the 1st of February as far as I'm aware uh, but the committee rejected that um, request for a delay uh, and yeah, everyone everyone made their way to government buildings last Thursday. And I think it was bad timing for them overall because they had some other good news related to the work that they were doing mm. football-wise, wasn't it? Yeah, so the director of football, um, another guy who worked in England, Mark Canham, uh, he, he assumed his post about 18 months ago and his signature piece of work is what's been titled the Football Pathways Plan, which ba- is basically a 12-year blueprint for how football will be organised in this country, um, you know, with a view to, you know, basically maximising our potential because everyone will agree Irish football has done an abject job of maximising its potential of converting the, the the largest played sport on a participation basis uh, into harnessing that potential and making ultimately better professional teams and, a, and better senior international teams. So then what did we learn about Hill's holiday payments last week? Yeah, so he had said in December of last year in front of the Oireachtas Committee that he did not ask for this money. It was explaining quite passive language that initially there was a, a conversation began in relation to a junior employee who who was unable to take holiday days in exceptional circumstances and it was decided that um that those days will be converted into money uh, paid to her. And then again, in quite passive language, we were told then a conversation arose in relation to me, me being Jonathan Hill, the CEO, uh, and then it was decided by the former chairman, Roy Barrett, to grant the money. Now, Roy Barrett didn't inform the whole board of this. He informed the Audit and Risk Committee about it when it seemed like it may become an issue um, as regards the state bailout agreement. But the money, Jonathan Hill said he didn't request the money, and then all of a sudden it was in his bank account in March of last year. In July of last year, at first, um, the FAI were first aware that, hang on, we might have a problem here. At that point, Roy Barrett told the Audit and Risk Committee about it, but the whole board didn't know about it until, I think it was the 1st of November last year, uh, when it emerged that state funding had, in fact, been frozen. So, um, now, when Jonathan Hill said last December that he didn't ask for it, colour some of the members of the Iraq the Sport Committee sceptical. Alan Dillon called it a cock and bull story, and he wanted to see the email chain from which this entire thing originated and that email chain became the central 
the central piece of evidence and the central story of last Thursday's PAC meeting. And the thing about committees is they're great for grandstanding. They don't necessarily have any teeth. So how did they react then last week? And, and I, it should be noted, they weren't very happy with the redacted parts of emails Ex- either. Extremely unhappy. So the FAI, having failed in a bid to delay or to postpone the meeting, then submitted the emails and their relevant documents, including the opening statement, late, past the deadline. It arrived at just before half 11 on the night before, which meant, as Paul McAuliffe explained, some committee members didn't see the material until 8.45 in the morning, which is... 45 minutes before kickoff. And the central, um, the, the email which became central, the whole thing was almost entirely redacted. Uh, as Alan Dillon pointed out, it even included the time and the date was redacted, as was the FAI's postal address at the bottom of the email. And um, that the FAI say was to protect the identity of the junior employee. But this was the key piece of evidence because as Jonathan Hill then explained in his opening statement uh, that he made a throwaway line in this email. Uh, so the email was of a junior employee, the aforementioned junior employee emailed Jonathan Hill, the CEO, and CC'd on that email the now former director of finance, Alex O'Connell, to say, look, is it possible? I haven't been able to take my holidays. Can I get uh, money for it? It wasn't a formal process. There was, you know, you had to go through HR and so forth, but... I guess the the thought was let's you know let's see what the CEO thinks you know and um, so he said he said he he said he approved of it and right at the end of the email said in this throwaway line quote can you negotiate the same for me please question mark exclamation mark um, now curiously this was all redacted including that line was redacted in the email he was happy to read it into the record but the FBI made the decision to redact it in the email and this obviously the former finance director was on this email chain, so he read this. So he interpreted this, again, incredibly passive language used. Jonathan Hill said, evidently, the former finance director interpreted this as a formal request, even though Hill says, that was not my intention. And then Hill contends that he didn't know about the rest of the process. The finance director said, okay, the boss wants this, let's run this up the chain of command. It went to the chairman, Roy Barrett, the money was granted. And then, you know, as we've said, um, issues issues arose as regards the bailout agreement. Isn't that it though? Because it's it's one thing you and I exchanging an email as colleagues, let's say in an office and exclamation mark, question mark might kind of come off as a bit of, let's say, banter. But members of the committee were saying when a CEO comes to say this, you take it seriously. And this was the point they were trying to make. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. and um, But there was also an, a further emails. Now, again, the emails were submitted late to the committee. So they will say that they didn't have a chance to scrutinise them. But, you know, they did they did miss a kind of an important subsequent email that was sent on the 19th of December 2022. So that throwaway line email was sent on the 15th of November. So just over a month later, Jonathan Hill sends an email to Alex O'Connell, the former finance director, and also to this mystery junior employee whose identity has been protected. The email had annual leave days 2022 in its subject line. And after clarifying some questions about the leave days he had taken, Hill wrote to Alex O'Connell, happy to carry over or what are the alternatives? Now, O'Connell replied, I think we're looking to try pay them as per your request. However, would have to go through Roy for approval, the former chairman, via Aoife, who's Aoife Rafferty, who's the People and Culture Director, HR Director in everyone else's speak. So let me know if that's okay with you. And Hill replies less than a minute later with a single word, perfect. Now, look, Alex O'Connell's email, that could easily be like the the request that he alludes to there. That could be the junior employee, to be fair. Jonathan Hill could have said this verbally at some stage to Alex O'Connell, but 
he missed the chance there to follow up and clarify, look, this isn't actually a request. I was only joking, Alex. You know, it was a throwaway line. But if he did that in some other form, it wasn't mentioned at the Public Accounts Committee and he obviously didn't do this in, do it in this email, which felt like a kind of a big piece of, of evidence that the committee kind of neglected to, to scrutinise. And I, I presume some of our listeners are thinking, well, look, this isn't a massive amount of money. Why are we in the weeds on this and why is this up before a committee? But it does really speak to the importance of the governance structures of these associations. As, as you say, there's so much government money at stake here. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, the government have to be confident in the FAI if they're going to give them the money that they need to keep going and then the money they need to ensure the, the sport here not only survives but thrives and fulfills its potential. The context here is that the FAI are asking the government for large amounts of money to invest in the game here. They produced an infrastructure report last year which basically highlighted the, the rag order in which most football facilities are in Ireland and um, a menu in which this is what we need to improve them. And the FAI are looking for 517 million euro from central government over the next 15 years to invest in those facilities. So that, if you're going to give that money to the FAI, the government have to be confident that the FAI have the right governance controls in place, which, you know, we've mentioned all these reforms, but also they have to, they need absolute transparency from the FEI at all stages going forward. And I think this is is what's at stake here because there are some committee members who did not believe the explanation that Jonathan Hill gave about the throwaway line. Like, I mean, Alan Dillon said it's not credible. Paul McAuliffe said it was quite unbelievable. But if the committee members and the country at large are expected to believe this story, I don't know why the FAI made the decision to redact the email in its entirety. Again, why redact the throwaway line that Hill was happy to to read it into the record. I respect, and I think everyone would respect the decision to protect the identity of the junior employee. But as the chairman, Brian Stanley, said, why was it not sufficient just to redact that employee's name and any other details that appeared in the email rather than the whole thing? The FBI took legal advice and that was their decision to protect the junior employee. The FBI are entitled absolutely to take legal advice but they, they must also balance that legal advice with the fact that it's very important to maintain the FAI's reputation in the eyes of its key stakeholders being the government. And I think that the, the consensus emerging from PAC is that by redacting the full of that email, the FAI got that balance and that got, got that judgment call terribly wrong. So, yeah, any translation was probably lost on the day. Now, there were other issues, I think, Gavin, that came up, including the FAI's COVID funds. What do we know about how they spent the money and are there any problems around that? Yeah, this is a very curious situation and I think we might be hearing more of the, more about this. Uh, so, naturally, uh, as we all remember, there is there's large amounts of money that were funneled to all sports governing bodies via Sport Ireland in COVID relief funds um, to to uh, meet the incurred costs and, and losses of that time. Uh, but but there were terms and conditions attached to this money and one of them that was obviously dispersed by via Sport Ireland, one of those Sport Ireland terms and conditions was that this money has to be used for COVID losses. It cannot be used for any legacy debt issues. And it emerged during the committee that the FAI spent just under €1 million Euro of this uh, to pay off a legacy debt. Now, we don't know what that debt is. Um, now, curiously, and this is where the role of Sport Ireland may come under scrutiny, is that Sport Ireland have audited the use of these funds at the FAI via um, an, an auditing firm called Cozy, and they came back with a clean bill of health. They they totally endorsed the FAI's use of COVID funds. The results of that audit were submitted to the committee in a briefing document that, that I've read. And the FAI then said that, well... 
as part of the application to support Ireland for these funds, you had to you had to break down where it was going to be spent. And their chief operating officer, David Carell, said, well, we said in the application that we were going to spend it on this. So it does seem like the money was not used for its intended purposes. And that is a question for the FAI. But it's also a question for Sport Ireland, who had oversight on this and signed off on it. Now, there are other things happening in the football field and beyond that. And Ireland's match against Israel was also raised. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so the, the Irish women's under-17s team had a qualifier against Israel last week as well. I actually think it was on the Thursday, perhaps it was the day after the Public Accounts Committee on Friday. It didn't attract anything like the media attention or scrutiny that the, the women's basketball game did previously. And they were asked by a Sinn Féin t- uh, representative, I think John Brady is his name, uh, as to as to whether the FBI would boycott Israel. Uh, and the FBI's response is basically, well, no, because our governing body, UEFA, haven't done that. The FBI are, while they're reliant on government money to keep to keep themselves afloat, they're also reliant on funding from UEFA to keep themselves afloat and to invest in the sport here as well. So they're not stepping out of line with what the governing body want. Obviously, the uh, situation was the comparison was raised in comparison to, to Russia and Belarus, uh, whereas um, and uh, sorry, the FEI's response on that was like UEFA made the decision to exclude Russia and Belarus from competition, so we remain faithful to that. No such decision has been made by uh, as regards Israel, so you know we're just going to keep playing them until UEFA tell us otherwise. Now John Brady did raise the interesting point that UEFA made a very curious decision last year to permit uh, underage teams to play against Russia and Belarus. So to hold the boycott at senior level, but to maintain, to let these guys play at underage level. And that was actually rejected by a number of UEFA members, including the FAI, who put out a statement to say that we're, they actually did break with UEFA here. They said, we don't, the, board, the FAI board believe that we shouldn't play Russia or Belarus um, going forward. And UEFA eventually backtracked on it. That point was raised. You know, if you, if you can break it with UEFA there, why not break with um, them over Israel? And the FBI's response was, well, just no. <laughs> now, you got side, Gavin, of the all-staff email sent out by the chair of the FAI the day after committee. What did he say? Yeah, he, uh, he it wasn't a full apology, but the chairman, Tony Kyohan, did say he regretted the, the, the negative noise that would be created around the Public Accounts Committee because it would distract from the good, it takes the focus away from the good work being done by staff and FAI representatives at all levels. So it's almost, you know, um, this followed, I mean, Hill, after the the, fir- the story first emerged about his payment in, in November last year, Hill sent a, a circular email with an apology. So this was the, the chairman's version of that. Again, it's to address staff morale, which is extremely low, as you would, might imagine, after the Public Accounts Committee. And he just said, look, uh, we acknowledge the negative noise, but um, you're all doing superb work and hopefully we'll get back to, to prioritising that and uh, well, the negative noise will go away. Do you think Hill's days are numbered? I mean, if you look, even the president, Paul Cook, said his confidence in him had been challenged by events. That wasn't mm. a good look. Not a good look at all. Uh, Jonathan Hill's position is... In danger, I think, at the FAI. We'll have to see. Uh, I don't think they they will want stability in the next few weeks because uh, they're believed to be close to appointing a new men's senior head coach, which is a key position in Irish football. Uh, and Jonathan Hill has been heavily involved in that search. Uh, Hill is also very close to getting a, a, ma- a new primary sponsor over the line. It's been reported that it's the payments firm Revolut. I've been told that it's not. People in the commercial world have told me it's not. Uh, but we're expecting an announcement of that sponsor in the next couple of weeks. So you know, they, they won't want instability on that front. But there are some people in the FBI boardroom 
are thoroughly unimpressed by Jonathan Hill uh, and want him out. I don't think he's in imminent danger because while the president, Paul Cook, said his confidence in Hill has been challenged by these events, the chairman, Tony Keohan, did stand squarely uh, by Hill, admitted that the entire situation was a slip up, but did kind of hint at more collective responsibility. Um, and But it's also not a good look, I think, for the FAI's president to say in the Houses of Parliament that he that his confidence in the CEO has been challenged. I mean, to use football parlance, that's the kind of thing that should be kept in the dressing room, to be quite honest. Again, what's important for the FAI is to maintain the absolute confidence, um, to, for the government to maintain absolute confidence in them, to get the money that they need to invest in facilities and f- help the sport flourish here and help people whose lives have been too difficult for too long at the coalface of Irish football to help improve their lives. And the FAI sought professional communications advice around this meeting prior to going in. You can ask whether that's appropriate in an organisation that has a communications department, but they took it. And I would be very surprised if that communications advice did not prep everyone involved for the question, do you have confidence in the CEO? So, you know, if you're if you're going to go that far um, and you have private forums like a boardroom and so forth to trash these things out, if you're going to stand in full view of the country, one question worth asking is why is the president on a different page to the chairman? Yeah, if you can't say anything good right now, say nothing at all. But you mentioned grassroots level and can only imagine the cost of keeping everything afloat at the moment. Do we know what the financial situation is now with the FAI? Do they still need a lot of help? They still need help. Um, so the state bailout agreement was agreed between the former sports minister Shane Ross and the former chairman Roy Barrett in a memorandum of understanding that ran from 2020 to 2023. Negotiations are ongoing as regards a renewal of that memorandum of understanding, um, which, you know, which the government, which presumably, you know, more funds for the FAI to pay their bills and keep afloat. Um, and again, that that will probably come with a whole load of terms and conditions as as the last one did. The, the fin- financial picture of the FAI is improving, but it's still tough. You know, debts were 60 odd million euro a couple of years ago. They're now down to 43 million euro, but that's still a massive amount of debt. I mean, it's, it's pretty close to the whole of their annual turnover for them to be carrying. The cash position was addressed by the finance director, Dan McCormick. It was, uh, he was a bit circumspect on it, expressing it means I'd never heard before, but it, it does vary, but it's usually around the low single digit millions and it's closer to 1 million euro than 9 million euros. So take a, take a stab in the dark Not at enough, 3 or 4 basically. million. Yeah. Not enough in particular. So things are obviously improving. Uh, it's, a, it's a brighter picture than it was a couple of years ago when the organisation was effectively insolvent and had to be rescued by the taxpayer. But it's still a tough scene. And Jonathan Hill did allude to, you know, it could be a hard few years still for the FAI through to the key bonanza time will be the European Championships in 2028, uh, which obviously Ireland will co-host along with the, with the rest of the UK. That was sold at the time as, you know, because, you know, a lot of us old uh, cynical hacks were were um, sceptical as to, well, what's this really worth? A few high profile games when, you know, the sport here needs uh, investment. One of the reasons sold was like, look, it shows the government, you know, the government can't ignore the facilities problem in Ireland if the whole world is going to be looking in at us, basically. <laughs> you know, it's just like, Fair. <laughs> you know, prepare the good room kind of thing. Wave the flag. Um, but also it's clear that the FAI need the income that w- will be generated from that tournament. If Ireland qualify, uh, Jonathan Hill has put it at a kind of very top line, a general figure of around 15 million euro, which would be huge 
for the FA. Well, one thing we haven't talked about, Gavin, is the football. And we should mention that the men's Ireland team is still without a head coach. So who are the interesting candidates in the mix? Dare I ask, who's out of the mix? Who's in? Who's the favourite at the it's moment? It's clear. Uh, I could give you a long list of names who are out of it, Laura. Uh, Please say have, Roy Keane. Uh, we just all want a bit of excitement. Uh, we would love Roy Keane. Uh, unfortunately, we would take him away from his media commitments. And I don't know, maybe that would be a bad thing for football in general, just because he's so uh, compelling. We don't know, really. We're into week 14 now. Um, we're, the FBI had hoped to have someone in place at the start of February. They definitely want someone in by the end of February so they can start preparing for the friendly matches against Belgium. Belgium and Switzerland at the end of March so we may end up with an interim appointment if that if that does happen expect that to be John O'Shea the former Republic of Ireland defender because they they respect him and they do want him involved in a coaching capacity under the head coach who does come in um, several names have been mentioned and the process has been kept very tight as regards the permanent appointment Chris Coleman the former Wales manager was mentioned they definitely spoke to him but he's uh, he's been told he's out they definitely spoke to Neil Lennon, the former Celtic manager. He's been told he's out. They definitely spoke to a guy called Anthony Hudson, who was once managed New Zealand and was an assistant manager to the United States in 2022. He's been told he's out. <laughs> so well, there must be someone. There in. must I be someone in. We don't. Uh, the, the media haven't got a, haven't got a clarity on it yet. I do know Paul Clement, uh, who is uh, a former Derby, Swansea, uh, and Reading manager, who is very impressive. A career as a coach as an assistant with Carlo Ancelotti at big clubs like Chelsea and Bayern Munich and Real Madrid and PSG who has previously worked with the Irish under 21s I know he's interested I don't know whether he was being very circumspect on whether he's actually in the running he's talking about being having it didn't want to say anything more out of respect for the confidentiality of the process the director of football Mark Hannum said last week that it's a confidential process that we have to respect so you know if you really want to put two and two together you might come up with four that's what we're trying to do Given <laughs> that I've, I have a husband who's obsessed with Liverpool and two children who are the same is there any chance we'd see Jurgen Klopp come over this Sadly as, as authentic and generous a man as Jurgen Klopp undoubtedly is he wouldn't get out of bed for what the FAI could pay him you know I think this is the you know in the past particularly when John Delaney was CEO we kind of enjoyed the fantasy of managerial searches and because there was private investment from Dennis O'Brien we could pay way above you know what the FEI could actually afford for a head coach or a manager so hence we had Trapattoni and O'Neill and Keane and Tardelli as assistants that era is gone the FEI are not going to take external funding to pay for the head coach and you know their budget is in and around well, Stephen Kenny was paid €560,000 annually with, with, okay, there are bonuses for qualification that double that. There is headroom to move it north of maybe to the 700 k figure. But in football management, that would, you know, that's the going rate for a guy in the kind of the middle to the lower half of England's second division, you know, so. And is this why um, it's taking so long then, Gavin, because of the sheer cost and they have to be really careful financially? I think that's part of it. Absolutely, Laura. I think also the, the job is is not as appealing as we like to think it is. International football is the poorer relation to club football, if you're a, a bright up and coming coach, you want to be working in club football at the moment than international management. And, you know, the FEI then, even if you wanted to work in international management, the FEI, as we've been talking about this morning, have an, have an image problem um, and there's no halo effect there. So if you're a coach who goes off to work with England or Belgium or Croatia or Portugal, you might down the line, um, you might do nothing good, but a, a, a chairman might look at your CV in the future and say, well, if you work for them, he must be good. That's not an operation of the FEI at the moment. So um, the FEI are very careful they're very slow to go through their processes. Eileen Gleeson was appointed on a permanent basis uh, 15 weeks after Vera Powell left. There was months, um, the FBI took months to trash out a deal to renew Stephen Kenny's contract, having indicated publicly that they were going to do that. Everything is quite slow and deliberate. 
with regards to how they do things. Obviously the same with the men's manager, but look, uh, obviously there, there's a lot of scrutiny on the search, a lot of hype and a lot of interest in it. If they get the right candidate at the end of it, everyone will forget these these awful 15 weeks for well I say awful awful for journalists really it's awful that's, that we're <laughs> don't the, be ridiculous we're the... we love this stuff <laughs> <laughs> and finally uh, as someone who isn't really across what's happening on the field I need to ask Kelleher or Bazunu in goals and I know there's a reason I need to ask you this <laughs> <laughs> well look I mean we don't we're not blessed with world class players in the Irish team but we've incredibly got to a situation where we have two world class goalkeepers at the same time uh, Quivin Kelleher at Liverpool or Gavin Bazunu uh, at Southampton and uh, now now, the Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp is certainly pro Keller. Uh, said last week that you know if Ireland have a better goalie than Quivine, respect. Um, so Stephen Kenny, really come back from that. I you? know. So Stephen Kenny, um, he picked Gavin Bazunu as his number one with Kelleher on the bench for the vast majority of his Ireland uh, tenure. The reason he did that was because Bazunu made the decision to go to a lower level club to play every minute of every game. So he jo- he left Manchester City to join Southampton, then in the Premier League and now in the Championship. He's only a young guy, but he play he's played every game. Kelleher made the decision to stay at the high-profile club in Liverpool. He's back up to the Brazilian Alisson Becker, who's kind of widely regarded as the best goalkeeper in the world. So he doesn't play anywhere near as many minutes, but the minutes he plays are at an extremely high level. Um, and there's gl- usually glory on the line and certainly high-profile headlines. So uh, Alisson has, has been injured for a, a large amount of this season. So Kelleher has played more games than ever before and he has excelled as a result. Like He, was, he won the fans' vote for the Man of the Match award in the victorious Carabao Cup final. Um, uh, at Wembley last Sunday made two unbelievable saves to kind of guarantee Liverpool victory there so uh, it's one of those things that'll rumble on we've had a few years of it Laura we're going to have at least 10 more years of it I think Well it's certainly never dull and it's much nicer to be talking about what's happening on the pitch than off it isn't it and it would be lovely to see the FAI come out from under the cloud of these governance questions so we'll keep an eye and we'll have you back to maybe revisit again when there is a new manager thanks so much Gavin for joining us today Thanks man Thanks again to Gavin Cooney for joining us today. You've been listening to the Explainer podcast by thejournal.ie. This episode was brought to you by senior producer Nikki Ryan and executive producer Sinead O'Carroll. If you'd like to support all the work we do here, head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to make a one-off donation or become a monthly subscriber. And of course, you can always leave a review and a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.